Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, your gracious host. Yay! Yay! Uh, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things, and uh, making amazing moves. Um, I'd like to say hello. Do I, who do I do first? Which, how, how does this work? Uh, Felicia Day, say hello. Hello. And Ryan Koppel, say hello. Hello. Um, first riveting question. What, is, what does day mean? What is, it? What is day? Your last I riveting. mean, um, <laughs> There's a thing called the the sun. Oh, okay, cool. And when you're on the side where the sun is shining, we tend to call it day. Mm, and deep. then when the the Earth road orbits around the sun, right? The the, the, the sun it's tends. Oh, <laughs> um, okay, so in all seriousness, I I would like you guys to introduce each other, but I want you to pour it on thick. Wow. As far as accomplishments, what you love well, about them. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, I, I will go first. Like, so the iconic Felicia Day is oh. known for such amazing titles as Dr. Horrible Singlong Vlog, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Magicians, and most importantly, The Guild, which she created as one of the most iconic and prolific and groundbreaking web series of all time, to the point where it is in the Smithsonian currently represented, and all seasons are up on Netflix, which you can watch whenever you like. From there, she went on to create Geek and Sundry, which was an amazing <laughs> geek lifestyle brand launching such iconic titles as Will Whedon's Tabletop, uh, Critical Role with Matthew Mercer, um, and exploring not just content on YouTube, but on other platforms like Twitch. Wow, that was beautiful. Whee! Thank you. That deserves a wee. That was Whee! a woo woo. woo. <laughs> um, with us, we have the interminable. Is that a word? Ooh. Indomitable. Interminable is only have cancer. Okay, Thank yeah. You. <laughs> Interminal, though. So Indomitable. It's, it's a good kind. Terminal. The terminal, Ryan Koppel. <laughs> um, I was privileged to see his creativity on the internet about 11 years ago and was astonished by the what he was able to accomplish with such a small budget at a time when web video was just a nascent um, art form. I reached out and to see if he could be my friend because I just wanted to be part of his world. <laughs> He moved to Los Angeles, and I was able to recruit him to my uh, my company. And he blessed me with his development prowess, his canny, savvy strategy, and his incredible uh, relations with people and relations. projects. Uh -oh. <laughs> I slept. I slept with people for her. <laughs> He's like, like I don't worry, I got you back. He then put, he then put on another hat and ran the business demonstrating his uh, his talent, not only in the creative arts, but the business arts as well. He went off to follow us on the path for several years, and I'm privileged to be a part of his now new creation, folding back 12 years ago to when he was a creator. He has created a podcast that I'd love to talk about called Voyage to the Stars that I am a mere cog in the wheel for. Oh, I, I would reluctantly, not, not reluctantly, adamantly refuse that Alicia has blessed this project with not just her actorial <laughs> capabilities and just in terms of performance, but also her own creativity. Because as you know about the podcast, since you were our panel moderator. I did do that. Um, yep. It is a, um, it's not a typical podcast in the sense that it is a sci-fi comedy, but it is mostly improvised. So we give a framework and then, you know, I give a framework with beat sheets about where the story goes from A to Z, but it is this, a remarkable woman who's, Creativity just topples kingdoms. 
Brings <laughs> it to life. Wow. And he's also a good dog dad. Okay, you guys. All right. Thank Is you. that enough? Thank you. We. Yeah. We to you we. both. We. <laughs> uh, I'm going to rename the podcast the We Series. Um, which it's sound. like the Woo Girls, right? That's a thing. It, pre- woo Girls, yes. Woo Girls are a thing. Yeah, I just stole that. Um, what I love about that interaction, um, a is a, a is an amazing example of chemistry um, that started from a cold open. Like <laughs> you're like, uh, let me uh, just reach out to you. Was on Twitter? You reached out to Ryan like originally, um, or wait, eleven years ago? She, what was that? Just so, like yeah. So we had she was. In her like second and third season, of the guild. It was a second because it was 2008. I think yeah. I remember seeing your stuff. 2008, and when I was in Canada, we had uh, this idea of creating this show initially that was kind of steampunk inspired, called Reese. It was about a runaway princess with a wolf, you know. And I love anything like badass women with swords. Turns out <laughs> Felicia does as well. Me too. Yep. Who doesn't? And so we started just release it on YouTube because we we're like initially we thought, well, let's maybe try and pitch it but we're like you know the concept is so high concept and different we're like well let's just make it ourselves because we knew all the actors and you know it had a pretty good cast (laughs) (laughs) i said no i i caution that why are you wincing (laughs) (laughs) no because it's um, we we had christine chatelaine who was in a bunch of stuff we had um ryan robbins who was in like a, a lot of like the canadian genre actors because so much of CW and sci-fi filmed up there. I because we did have Allison Mack and that's a little bit of a touchy subject. (laughs) Because it's Canada. Because sex cult. Yeah. Yeah, that's a more recent thing that has unfortunately in her life unfolded, but it's fine. Were you were you in it? Yes. No, they were you they did try to recruit me. What? What is that? Just like an offer letter that comes in the mail? What, uh, no, it was uh, like scavenger hunt. No, it's like come to meeting. It'll be fun. We'll sit down. We'll talk about things. And I was like, mm-hmm, this sounds a little pass. Pass. <laughs> so we released the show. She tweeted at us that she had seen the show and very much enjoyed it. And so I was coming to LA, and I will lean into the mic to talk. Um, we, I was coming to LA for an awards show, the Streamies, that she was also hosting, and obviously well accoladed with winning nearly every single award possible. Um, and I just reached out and I was like, Hey, I'm in town. We should meet up. Yeah. And then from there, we just became friends. And she the, was the host wins every year at the streams. I think that's, I mean, they sh- I mean, yeah, it's kind of an incestuous thing. I haven't been, <laughs> I haven't been since like 2012. So <laughs> nice. Um, so the reason I bring up the idea of chemistry, because I think when you do something like voyage to the stars and it's an improvisational, you know, fictional series set in space and in the future and a bunch of weirdos, both creatively and the, the characters themselves. Um, just, uh, just talk to me a little bit about why chemistry matters and how it comes to life in that environment. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, taking a little bit of a step back with voyage to the stars. I mean, obviously I've worked with Janet. Or sorry, with Felicia. <laughs> I mix you guys up. And hey, Janet, too. You probably Janet. worked with Janet. Yeah, so... Janet Varney is one of the actors. She and plays she's sorry. The, yeah, the, so the artificial the, intelligence. Exactly. So the, the premise of the podcast is it's set in the future. Um, there's this wormhole that's appeared and this group of misfits ends up accidentally boarding the alien spaceship and getting stuck on the wrong side of the galaxy. And it stars Felicia as the lead science officer who has not finished any of her degrees, so she's a little bit scattered. Um, very knowledgeable about many things, just not too knowledgeable. She's like the red mage of intellect. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we have Colton Dunn, who plays Captain Tucker, who's like an insurance salesman who gets accidentally appointed as captain. There's Steve Berg, who plays Stu Merkel, who's basically the sort of stoner, wants to just sit around and eat food and play video games, janitor type. 
Um, and then Janet Varney, who plays uh, AI, the AI of the ship, yeah. which they accidentally named Sorry. And so on the chemistry side, it was really fun to come together because most of those people I've known for many, many years. And we all have sort of an interconnectedness with each other. So Felicia's, you've heard that saga. Um, Janet, I met while working at Geek and Sundry. She hosted an escape room show for us, which was kind of funny where she came in with a friend of hers to pitch a show. And somehow she mentioned escape rooms and the conversation immediately shifted away from the show they were there pitching to let's just talk about you hosting a show. And her friend is there. It's kind of like, well, my work is done, I guess. <laughs> um, but we've stayed in touch. We, Her and I just sold a TV show just recently as well. So she's Congratulations. She's a collaborator. Thank you. We. We. Yep. We. we. Sorry, sorry. Felicia also we. just sold a show to Freeform. I should have plugged we. that. The beginning. You guys are on a roll. It doesn't matter. Um, it's all Hollywood. It's all vaporware. <laughs> now, all right. Well. Um, <laughs> and then Steve I grew up with in Omaha, Nebraska. And Steve was also on... Uh, Dr. Horrible Singlong vlog with Felicia. Yeah, so we all kind of knew each other yeah. separately, except Colton. I didn't really know, but I knew of his work. Yeah, and, and she, he's friends with Janet. So yeah, again, and I think when you're doing when when, when you're sort of doing a show that is rooted in, like you're saying, chemistry in terms of improv in the room, but also this is a nascent IP, and it's you know we're building something from scratch. So I think the fact that there is the chemistry where everyone just loves it and wants to support it <clears throat> no matter what yeah it's been really great so it you know it's not the kind of thing where i feel like oh god i have to ask everyone to tweet about it it's just and the it becomes that whole thing of like <laughs> uh do you want to support it i guess no everyone just likes to support it and and that's great and i think that that translates into the recordings when you hear the fun that they have in the show um so you assemble this this uh team of avengers of comedy i'll, I'll call it and but it, did that happen before or after you came up with the concept? Because I want to get into the pitch a little bit, but... Um... Yeah, it was kind of... Um, it, it was sort of simultaneous. I mean, I, okay. think, I think knowing that I'd wanted to do something in the audio space that leaned into the format, which is that, you know, it's it's a space adventure, but we're, we're telling the story through the logs of these particular characters. It's like the captain's log, the science log, Stu's doing his own podcast. The logs and, are hilarious, by the way. It's almost my favorite part of this show. Great. Um, <laughs> perfect. Then I'm glad you like the show. Um, but then I think, you know, like, then it was looking at people I knew and saying, like, okay, you know, what are the sort of archetypes of these, yeah. of, of this cast? And then obviously going after my friends who I love working with. So um, experimenting in a format, you go into a room, like, just kind of walk me through the pitch. Because I, I would imagine on paper is kind of a hard sell um, in terms of where it's set, you know, how it'll come together, how it works in this format, all those different nuances. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, I think actually Felicia speaking into it would be better because I had sort of the idea of like, we can do this sort of long form improv to tell a story and give them frameworks, but ultimately they're the ones who bring it to life. I mean, I no, I think it's the format that really shines. I mean, you know, I'm, I've been an improv actor since I first moved to LA and I uh, I love it, but it doesn't really translate unless you're there. Like even live streaming, it's like it's not the same. You have to be in the room. It never works when they try to do improv pilots. I mean, whose line is in any way kind of, but that was right. like little tiny games. So you're really not even improvising long form. So what's brilliant about this podcast is that we are given the architecture to stay on track um, because if you're purely improvising, people do podcasts like that. But it's almost the wandering nature of it is sort of disengaging because you don't really feel like there's you know, a structure to it. Yeah. And so the great thing is we kind of like going into every log, we're like, okay, this is your objective. This is your problem. Bring up these three points and then go. So we're allowed to sort of invent and add so much to the story 
all the details, but the great thing is we know where we're going. So you never feel insecure like, oh my God, I don't know where we're going. Let me throw something crazy in because I'm feeling <laughs> weird about this. And then <laughs> the story's completely off track. So it really is. I think it's similar to what I understand Curb Your Enthusiasm does. They have outlines, they have beat story beats. And so they hit it, but then everything in between is kind of made up. So you get the fun of improv without having the stress of improv, yeah. and, which I, that's what I like. So I think the, the episodes all hold together and then they edit them. So the episodes really hold together like they were scripted, but you have this great fun, you know, thing that we're, I don't even remember what I say when I listen to it back. I'm like, this is great. Did I say that? <laughs> that's, uh, that's that's a great feeling. I think you bring up a great point where you have, you know, most improv, you have immediate feedback from a room full of people um, or even in a Curb Your Enthusiasm. They're out and about in a world. And so they have physical things that they can mess with. Here it's, you know, 92% imagination. Um, what's that like being a sort of an enclosed environment where you don't have that immediate feedback for what's working, what's not working, or you're just trying different things? Like, what's that, what's that like? Um, I think, you know, it's great because we are laughing at each other. So we become our audience. So, I mean, 90% of the time we'll just be like covering our face and trying not to laugh. But then you see somebody almost laughing and then you're like, oh, I'm going to go there more. That works. So we are our audience. And that's what I think the chemistry comes from because, yeah, you're right. If we we're improv in a vacuum, like it's that infectious sort of like, oh, they like that. We're going to go farther into that. You find the game a lot easier. Um, but it's because of us not laughing into our mics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's one thing where when we talked about the format for the story, I mean, you could have easily just done like, OK, let's just do a scripted podcast yeah, or an, an audio drama, even not even call it a podcast where it's just here's the episodes we want to tell, here's the beats, here's the characters, and we just, you know, have them come in and just do voice recording. But I think that's the thing that you lose when I think of the podcast format again. It's that it is very intimate. It's it's about the conversations that are happening to between characters and kind of to the audience, in essence, whether you're involved in it or sitting back and listening. I think that's what they bring to, which is really fun, is that they are, like, you know, they are basically having fun together. You can hear them having fun. I mean, the amount of times where you can hear Colton or Janet kind of almost break when they're talking, when they're trying to say a joke. Is I, I love yeah, that Yeah, I love stuff. the little breathiness. Like you're like, oh, somebody was about to laugh right then. Yeah, like, because <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is improv and it is, it is meant to be fun. Like we're not, you know. Taking ourselves too, too exactly. seriously. Um, so, the, I mean, the one thing about this also is that it's more than a podcast, right? It's, a, it's designed as a multi-platform, to use an antiquated word, a transmedia story. Um, Ooh, old school. Oh, I know. I, I feel I'm, like transmedia this, is coming back. As, is it really? As a term. Oh, yeah. good. It was really, it was kind of like web series is now. It's oh, like God, web series. Is like... Yeah, it's like a poop on your the bottom of your shoe. <laughs> That's like a 99 cent taco at Taco Bell. Well, even when I started, like I started this show six years ago and I was afraid to say it was a podcast because I thought like, you know, it had a connotation to it. So it was. Like, yeah, I have yeah, an interview series. not cool. Yeah, it was then. like, like, no, no, no. Now people are like, you have a podcast? I was like, yes. Um, but you have more than a podcast. So walk us through a little bit of the, you know, the live show, the, uh, you know, the other assets that are being planned and executed along the way. Um, yeah. So we partnered with um, this company, Madison Wells Media, to do the podcast. Um, I met this woman, Morgan Kruger, who's probably like one of the coolest executives I've ever met. I'm like, oh, I'd actually be your friend. She's she has like a purple streak in her hair? It's because she's obsessed with Zelda. Yeah, she plays Zelda. <laughs> oh, really? Like okay. she's played Zelda through like 20 times. And I was like, oh, wow, that's even more than I've ever done it. Um, and their divisions are sort of broken up where, you know, they do like TV and film and gaming and stuff like that. But they have this universe side, which is meant to be like kind of what we did with Geek and Sundry, which was 
taking a property, starting it in one place, and then figuring out the ways that you can engage around the audience and really, you know, build audience, build community, and provide them something that is actually meaningful. And so when we've been looking at the podcast, like, you know, we we try to say it's, you know, it's it's a story, it's a series, it's not just a podcast, because, you know, we've done the live shows, which is a great way to have community engagement, we're looking at doing conventions, and comedy shows as well. Um, and there's a bunch of them coming up over the next several months that we'll be announcing. Um, but we are looking at sort of expanding the story world by doing things like, you know, I can't really say anything specific, I'm realizing, but it's like, <laughs> there is a comic coming. Um, well, there's, that's not so much a, I, I feel like you drop some Easter eggs deliberately. So, so like when you look at the cast of characters, most of them are drawn, right? It's not you yeah. guys in costumes. So I think that's kind of like a hint, if you will. Yeah, I mean, that was when we, when we launched it, we wanted to have a really strong art work out the gate because we wanted to make sure, because there is so much being imagined, I find that with when I'm listening to some things, if I don't have the visual, like at least a visual anchor of like, who is that character? Who is, who is this person? It's very hard to kind of root myself in the story because my imagination just carries me wherever I go, wherever yeah. I want to go. But at least having even artwork to represent the characters, it just helps frame it of like, okay, this is this person. I can see their demeanor, their expression. It matches their character. Now I can picture that person doing, doing other things. But yeah, but because it's a sci-fi world and it's a genre world, like, yeah, we are, Looking at comics, looking at, you know, gaming opportunities across the board, looking at, you know, really, you know, some interesting partnerships yeah. we can do with other companies and people playing in the space. Um, and yeah, just yeah. lots of things coming in the next <laughs> few months. We can't talk about. We can't talk about. <laughs> just, just, just whisper. Um, so when you think about geek culture um, and I mean, you, your fans follow you everywhere you go you know when we did the the panel at WonderCon, it was like i've watched you since xyz and i feel like these this specific group of fans are some of the most stickiest like i'm a hip-hop nerd so it's like it's fair weather right it's like oh uh, yeah <laughs> i didn't like the last album so i'm not going to the concert right but i think with this genre and this kind of fan interaction just talk to me a little bit about that ecosystem about the loyalty of the fan base and how you you know stay engaged and and keep reinventing within this I'll call it narrow space, but it's pretty vast. Well, I know for my 1,200 Twitter followers. <laughs> Your what? My 1,200 Twitter followers. They're <laughs> super. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. 1,202, I just. Oh. Found. oh. So. All right, Felicia, you can go. Oh, no. I just, I, you know, I love, I love, ever since I joined Buffy as a cast, I always felt like an outsider. And when I became part of the geek genre universe, I felt like it, I belong somewhere. And so everything I've ever done has not. Uh, it's not, it's catered to my own enjoyment as a performer, not just to give by my audience, but that's just genuinely who I am. So when I come, when I came up with a show idea or I thought about, I want to work with this person, it's because somebody has a passion for something and I want to share that passion. I just love enthusiasm. I love being fueled by creative people and creative ideas. And I love introducing something to someone who didn't know they would love it, but that now they love it. And so that's where tabletop or Dungeons and Dragons or, gaming, you know, all those subjects um, really resonate with me. And I just was like, how can I convey this enthusiasm to other people? And I think that's kind of what geek is. And so, you know, although geek, uh, geek stuff is so much more mainstream. I mean, look at like Avengers. It's like the number one movie of the world. Like it's not a niche, but the subculture itself is still intact. And I think that's because it's not just about the pop culture of it all. It's not just about loving Wolverine or whatever. 
it's about being an outsider and being understood and having a shorthand with other people. You know, if I go to a party and, the, and somebody has played Fallout, I'm like, great, I don't have to leave now because I actually have somebody to talk to. <laughs> I can share this, you know, this shorthand with this person. It's the same way if you met like a, a fan of your favorite artist. At yeah. a, you know, it's we all have aspects of geekdom in our world, no matter if it's sports or, you know, video games or, you know, I love cross-stitch, right? We, we are geeks about whatever fuels the joy in our lives. And so uh, to me, like, a, that's what drives me. And I think that's what makes audience loyal because they know there's a genuine insight, excitement and connection between you and the things that you make. And that's why I try to maintain that. Well stated. Um, you and your 1,200 followers. And, and <laughs> no, was. I mean, I think, you know, kind of coming from the opposite side where, <clears throat> I, you know, I don't think I have a fan base by any well, means. You've, but you've created things that fans yeah, love, right? Exactly. Like, and I think that's, a, you know, equally, if not more, valuable. Well, and I think it, to me it comes down to, you know, when looking at it from that perspective of like the things that I would want to invest in time in similar to Felicia, where it's like, you know, the things that, you know, I loved as a kid growing up, like I was obsessed with video games. Like I was never playing sports or going to parties or having friends. It was like me and my super Nintendo for 10 hours a day during the summer. Um, and like anime and things like that. And yeah, I mean, I was never into comics, but to Felicia's point, I think that's the thing is you're geeky about specific things. I don't think there is just a single geek moniker that you can yeah. apply to someone but i think the thing that makes it fun with with shows like this is when it there is that you know we throw the term around a lot of like authenticity but i think that's just what it comes down to is that it has to be authentic in the sense of what you're bringing to it and the way that you want to tell that particular story yeah. so you know with comedy you know it's very subjective and so really at the end of the day like the reason why i think it works so well is that we're not trying to create something that appeals to literally anyone else besides who's in the room. So, you know, I walk away from listening to an episode and I'm like, if I laugh during it and they laugh during it, that's really all that matters because yeah. that's humor. Like that's comedy and it will translate to certain audiences, large or small. And yeah. Or we're, I think uh, the spaceship is about to take off. Yeah, so what I was, was that? I was like, is there a trolley in <laughs> WeWork? Speaking of WeWork, have we, have we plugged WeWork yet? <laughs> um, one thing you guys both touched on is sort of this idea of like a roots in uh, social awkwardness. Um, I had a chance to interview uh, Isaiah Mustafa, the old Spice guy who's now in the It 2. Um, I saw oh, that. Exactly. The, the trailer dropped yesterday. Uh, and the one thing that's, you know, strikingly handsome and the old spice you know uh, face uh, and head and shoulders and bust but he talked a lot about like in high school just feeling super awkward and peter parker was the one person in the world that he related to and then you know look 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 at him now um does that social awkwardness become an important piece of what you do or is it kind of a root or is it or, or do you not even think about it like is it i mean i think I think it certainly defines some of the character of who we are is and the stories we tell and how we help people relate to stuff around that. I mean, you know, for me, the underlying drive of this podcast, and it's been a big drive in my entire life is like that question of what is family? Mm. You know, I, I, you know, I obviously love my family. And that shows dearly. up in the show too. Like as, as yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, I love my family dearly, but I would say uh, growing up as a gay nerd in Omaha, Nebraska, it was a little bit hard to connect people around me. And so it was the friends I made online or the friends that I made in college or people that just it felt more organically to connect to. And that really sort of changed the paradigm for me of what does a family mean? Like, it doesn't have to be 
you don't have to just go home every Christmas to see your parents that you haven't right. seen in a year or distant relatives. Your family can be, you know, the best friends you've made from work, so to speak. And so, and I think that's, you know, that's less the social awkwardness aspect of it, but it isn't that I carried with me as a kid and that feeling of like belonging and where do you belong? And in the podcast itself, I think that becomes a very obvious trend when you get to know all the characters, they all have this sort of broken history, if you will, yeah. uh, in different ways that is meant to be and will continue to be kind of grow as a unifying thing that helps them connect with each other and become that sort of family structure, even though it's not your typical family. And I do think when you look at fandom in general, you see a lot of that sort of tribe vibe coming yeah. together. And I think that's an important part of it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm socially awkward that I don't know what even that means. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll never be the I person. I think we all are to say, like, depending on where it, it can, it can be relative. I think in your, like, that was a very isolated <laughs> gay nerd Omaha. Like that's mm -hmm. just, uh, you've never heard those three words in, in succession. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Just... Oh, no, no. I mean, I, I agree. Like, I think we're all, there's all, uh, we're never, none of us are trained to be really comfortable in our own skins. And I think that's because we are judged a lot and there's sort of like, uh, a human instinct to marginalize and like herd mind everybody. And so we all are kind of dampened down either through bullying or just social, social pressures or societal, the media telling us what we should be that we aren't already. So we have this sort of thing where we're never comfortable in who we are. And my, I guess my life goal is that I, I grew up a little bit in a vacuum because I was homeschooled and I, I, I'm not completely accepting of who I am, but I am, uh, I won't back down when I'm told that I shouldn't be a certain place. And I actually mm. have always been like that in that if somebody tells me I should not do something, I will deliberately do it. Yeah. Uh, I will prove them <laughs> wrong. Like every, I think actually every step of my career has been out of, either out of spite or proving something to somebody like, <laughs> so, um, and that fuels me because I don't think anybody should tell me that the way that I see the world is wrong. Mm. Like why are they, everything is relative and that's almost almost to the extreme now that the internet has shown everything is relative and truth is relative. Right. And that's like, okay, we got a little excited about that concept. <laughs> but, uh, but to me, like, I never want anybody to feel like the way that they are organically, their passions or their organic passions are not acceptable. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if you are told that a woman shouldn't be like this or a, a person should not be interested in X, Y, or Z, um, as long as it's not harming anybody, you should be able to embrace that part of yourself and be your unique, your unique special self. And, um, even if it's considered quote unquote weird. In fact, if you look at great artists, their weirdness basically has made them who they are and stand out. Like you don't, you don't get ahead by being just like everybody else. And so it's this weird dichotomy in life. And so yeah. and the underlying thing of everything I do is like, just accept yourself and be proud of yourself. And you will be able to find people to support um, who you are, regardless of what the median is telling you to do. Are either of you involved in any sort of uh, mentorship? I do mentorship through my uh, University of Texas. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I volunteer for. I like how uh, you said Texas. You almost Texas, you almost went there. Texas. <laughs> yeah, we, you took us to Texas. I was yeah, like, and oh. I, and I feel like a lot of the you know Ryan and I actually are forming a company to work together um, to produce and write and things like that. And um, you know we are upstarts in, in Hollywood. And my goal is to with the with the projects that I bring into the company um, are to discover new voices and help them guide guide them through the system a little easier than what I had to do, which was tr trial by fire. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I consider that a mentorship when you're working with somebody new and they right. don't really know the system. Like we are mentoring people as producers. Like, it's kind of like my underlying thing that I would like to kind of get into 
with uh, the projects I work on in the future. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about the, you know, we kind of come full circle in terms of starting to work together when kind of flew out and did our own things and came back together. <laughs> and yeah, just the idea of, you know, finding, you know, obviously we're in kind of like a content gold mine right now, yeah. I guess, because everyone is always looking for new shows. But I think for us, we still want to just try and find like innovative ways to tell stories or find innovative stories because that's really what put us on the map or specifically Felicia with like, with, yeah. with the Geek and Sundry stuff and whatnot. And I just feel honored to work with her. Aww, are we good? Oh, Aww. still Sarah. I, I, love, <laughs> I love working with you. Talk about chemistry. I'm going to just rip you apart with sarcasm after this, but it's uh, <laughs> like it's complete opposite. Well, we, know, we, we have to balance out the scales. We have to balance it out. Yeah. It's too nice. Uh, well, you use the word gold mine, and you know a lot of this stuff is fueled by brand power. Um, how, what's that like? Work because you know I know there's this uh, sort of whatever the core nucleus is of the creative vision, and then you've got executives to work with, Madison Wells if, in this instance. Um, you've got each other. And there's always like this creative negotiation, and especially when brands come on board and maybe don't fully understand the culture that you're tapping into. Um, how do you navigate those sorts of relationships and? and I mean, I think with this particular project, we've been really lucky because there was a lot of trust placed in, you know, the creative team of meaning, you know, myself and this other writer on it, David, um, and then the cast to just sort of trust that we'll do it justice and do it, do it well in terms of, you know, comedy story and everything that they're not deeply entrenched and like, well, let's have, you know, four hour note meetings every week to like. You know, or go over edits and make sure everything is, you know, that they realize it's not what their what their specialty is in, in this particular project. And so that's been really great. Um, but I know in general, yeah, it's something that you always struggle with, which is yeah. when you have a lot of creative voices and big personalities in a room. Like, how do you, you know, if you end up having to be the focal point who's distilling all that down and trying to output it into something. Well, you also have to be sort of the ringleader, right? Like in, in many yes. ways, because <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, I hear you, but like, we're, we're, if, let's say, oh, let's, I want Colton to eat a Subway sandwich, right? Like, oh. yeah, well, I mean, thankfully on the brand side of like ads, that's because it's a podcast, that's pretty easy and straightforward yeah. because it's like, like people understand the podcast space is based around these sort of these ad reads, things like that. And I know, you know, Steve and Shannon end up doing them for the most part and they just have a fun time doing it. They just make it as like ridiculous as they want to. And it's like, great. As long as you're not insulting the brand, <laughs> right, clearly right, right. have fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in general, that's just, again, kind of to what you said earlier about the vibe of, of the core group is like, yeah, we all just get along well. So I don't think there would ever be a situation yeah. where one personality would try, try to like, trump another one we just yeah like we just all just get along so yeah it's a, again it comes just like working with good people and working with people who are not full of ego and not too protective of themselves um in a way that's like not even organic for them uh and i'm and you know I, the good thing is like in defining yourself really strongly people are going to come to a creative uh project or just come to an influencer in a way um to capitalize on what you're already putting out. Yeah. So like it is a very powerful thing in creating your own content. You are leading the charge of defining yourself. And then people want that product rather than like, oh, I'm going to start from an inorganic place and like, let's create a girl to sell Subway. Like that's not a real person. That's a brand <laughs> mm -hmm. that they're creating for. And that's not what I think the modern media is about. They genuinely want 
real, they want to see that organic connection. Like that's why Game of Thrones doesn't work because John and Danny have no, like you don't want to see them having sex. You just don't. They have no chemistry. Speak for yourself, Felicia. Okay, that's fine. But I'm like, I don't buy anything that happens with that relationship and that I will go no, on record right, for it. Like the kiss was always like, uh, like uh, it was like no, you don't like each other. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. work. And that's uh, it's many like, other down. love in five episodes. Go. No, it's not, guys. I'm. Uh. Which is a good segue because I wasn't on my phone just to be rude. Um, <laughs> Ryan, you tweeted, y'all talking about this is what you uh, <laughs> y'all talking about hashtag GOT. Uh, did you like my y'all talking about? Yeah, what you. is this? And, and I'm here like poor Nat Portman in Endgame. She just wanted to shake off a nap but gets stabbed by a walking raccoon, thinks her red gas problem is gone, and then boom, gets stabbed again by a dude in a USA costume. Like, JK, we put it back. <laughs> you did that? Yeah, yes. it was, it was, it's, it's bothered me throughout the whole thing. of. I, I have many thoughts in Endgame, which I absolutely <laughs> loved. And this is a spoiler, obviously. So if you haven't seen it yet, eh, just tune out for a few minutes. I think the embargo is um, I, I would agree. There's that whole thing where it's like, oh, they go back in the time frame and the timeline to get the end, the the Infinity Stones, but they make a point of being like, make sure you go back and put it right back where you got it, so you don't disrupt the timeline. And so there's that whole scene where you think about from Natalie Portman's perspective, where she's dealing with all the stuff from Thor two, then all of a sudden this. Weird raccoon shows her nowhere, stabs her, takes the stone out, and she's like, "Holy shit, it's done!" Like, I guess is that it? And then Captain America has to come back in and actually, basically, physically assault her, <laughs> probably think about to that. stab incredible. her and put the stone back into her body because they have to put the gas in her to not affect the timeline. That's incredible. Which is just a weird thing to think about that no one I've seen no one talk about. I'm like, she basically just gets assaulted twice. <laughs> That's <laughs> incredible. I didn't bring that up in vain. I was like, I'm curious where the segue came from. Because where is this coming from? What tweet are you, what mind are you going to uh, Look, man, uh, I don't have any of yours. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not that level of a playing field. Um, no, because I, I was I was thinking about this idea of analyzing creative. Um, and when you get a project or something comes your way or you're thinking about executing something, what sorts of analytical lenses do you put on after you go like, oh, we, this is great. Then you go, all right, well, let's start to break it down. Like, what are you looking for? I mean, that's the thing I think we've discovered about each other, especially recently in our creative collaboration process, where Felicia is, like, insanely in-depth in the character and figuring out, like, what are their wants, their needs, their strengths, their weaknesses, their drives. Like, she will be able to look at a character and break down, like, an entire web of just, like, every single thing that connects them to each other and how they operate. And for me... I tend to live a lot more in the world building. So if someone says this is the way the world is, then my next question immediately is like, okay, but then what does that mean for this, 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 and this, and this? And how does that thing fit, you know, factor into that world thing that you just introduced, you know? And so for me, it's always much more, if you're going to paint, if, if you're going to create a world that is different than our own or has different rules, it's really important to me to dig in very deeply to make sure, because when I watch a movie, the minute I feel like a rule is broken, I lose interest. So you hated Endgame is what you're saying? Um, no. <laughs> I had a lot of problems at the ending with Captain America. And I mm. was like, this completely, it's a very sweet ending. But I'm yeah. like, you've just completely shattered all rules for yourself. Unless yeah. you have now are implying this other timeline, which doesn't, again, like, and to me, like, people are like, that's a very specific thing to care about. I'm like, well, I mean, you've been, it's, it's a big plot point that you've just 
yeah broken well time travel always bugs me anyway like i can yeah. never follow like inception i just that movie i was like uh, i get it but i don't get it at all um so both of you have um kind of graduated in your careers right you, at some point your hobby becomes a real bona fide business uh what sorts of learning curves did you have to make in sort of going from actress to you know founder and ceo um and similarly or you know just kind of like that evolution there's a lot of unexpected things that pop up but what were some of those like learning curves and nuances that you were good or not good <laughs> i like how you shook your head no and he passed you the microphone <laughs> i mean there's every learning curve like I, I mean i think in life you life is a learning curve and unless you actually do something like to me, if you want to be in film, you have to do film. You can't just study it in, in, from an intellectual way. You can only learn by doing. And so you have to accept that mistakes are a part of the process. I, as somebody who is paralyzed of, about making mistakes, it's actually been the biggest hindrance in my life because I don't act because I'm worried that I'm going to make a mistake and therefore I don't learn. And so that's something it took oh, years to figure out. Um, so, I mean, I think the most uh, turning a hobby specifically into a career, I think, is appreciating that the business side of it is uh will when you turn it into a business the business dominates and so the art the artistry the creativity the passion that got you in there is only 10 to 20 percent of ac your actual job and so the gr the greatest thing you can do in starting a business is to study business so mm. you know take a course in business like i wish that i had taken more courses in finance and basic business and basic marketing and just learned a little bit more about this world that I was getting into thinking naively, this is all about the creativity. It's not at all. And so uh, the more you can educate yourself in areas that you wouldn't actually be drawn to, um, I think you, you'll probably get a leg up in the long term and you'll have a more realistic view of how the long term of your career will, will, will actually lay out. Unless you just want to be a hobbyist, which is fine. That's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. It's probably better because you won't be burnt <laughs> out and hate your art 10 years in or something like that. Um, but you know, it's just something to think about. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, the thing that I've always struggled the most with is that, you know, coming back to that sort of gay, awkward nerd kid who just, you know, it was a very weird kid. I fully admit it. Um, what was your hair like? Uh, <laughs> it was, it, it went through stages. It was, <laughs> it was parted. It was part in the middle. It was bleach blonde Ooh, for a while no, i don't okay no that was i mean that was the <laughs> that was the 90s what can i say <laughs> um no i mean i think the thing that i've seen the biggest struggle with for me personally and then i think other people really have is is the fear of sharing your point of view because i think at the end mm. of the day it's very easy to say to write something and be like what do i think this person is looking for let me tell that story and it generally falls flat because it becomes the same thing that everyone else is trying to tell or pitching or whatnot. And it really, for me, always said down from a fear of like, what if, what if I put myself out there and I have this weird, uncomfortable version of how I would portray people or portray characters, portray the world, and it gets rejected? What does that say about me? And like, it's a very I... personal yeah, process. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you can find a way to overcome that, especially, and it's just, you know, just be prepared that you might fail once, you might fail twice, 10 times, just you have to keep trying it if you if you want to have your voice out there. And I think, you know, for me, especially 
it's like I will say being on web video and online where people can immediately type in their <laughs> honest thoughts instantaneously <laughs> Boom! and, and, at, and on, at you I just, I just like posted it three minutes ago. like li- like literally come out of your face and be like this fucking sucks <laughs> it's like thanks <laughs> nice to meet that. you at 6969 <laughs> um but no but I think that that's helpful and I you know and one thing I would actually I really realize that I would encourage a lot of writers to consider doing or creatives is to look at doing something like a stand-up or sort of storytelling classes, because I think that that was infinitely more helpful in terms of me finding my creative and comedic voice than just even just sitting down like writing scripts, coming with ideas, because it really does allow you to find, it, it forces you to mind deep in yourself because it has to be truth that you're telling, yeah. to find the stories and to tell and how to tell them so that it does resonate with the audience. And your point of view. Yeah, and, you and, your, and, and your point of view. Exactly. And I think that more than anything really just helped refine like, oh, this is this is my point of view. Like, yeah. this is what I can say and the way I say it that makes it funny. Even I mean, even for performers and even for business executives. Right. I think yeah. it's the same thing. Like you have to insert a little bit of your. Well, that sounds wrong. You have to <laughs> bring forth a lot, a lot of yourself into whatever end- endeavor we go into um, as we wind down. The show is called Innovation Crush. I'm curious as to what's out in the world that you guys personally have an innovation crush on. It could be something in this conversation. It can be a meal you had. It could be a VR experience. Felicia's my crush. (laughs) (laughs) So much sauce. Uh, You go first. I mean, I uh, I think it's the third time you're like, you, you. Like, I'm, I mean, I love, I, I love how, I love that there's a lot of media out there just representing different voices Mm. and somehow that's become okay and cool and actually preferable. And while, you know, like the more specific that you could get like this or there would probably be a half hour comedy about and some like uh, uh, somebody who lives in like the the Arctic Circle and how they, you know, comedy about how they are like they can't find enough whales to kill right now because of global warming. Like I'm like, there will be the most specific comedy out there (laughs) in the most specific viewpoints of the world. And I actually think that's really cool that we could celebrate and actually I think I'm gonna preach that show by the way. uh, Listen, sold. It's (laughs) I just I just like to see different perspectives on the world because that expands our view and makes us empathetic. Mm. And I think the more people are forced to be empathetic uh, and see the world through other people's eyes, the better we all are. So I think that's it's not innovative, but it's cool that something that's popular right now in media is actually going to be good for the world. Well, you know, I look at innovation as a reimagining of sorts. And if we reimagine like what stories are mainstream, you know, it's not like some disruptive thing, but it definitely is like tapping into something that hasn't been seen before, at least, you know, at scale. Yeah. And for me, it's been really seeing like the versioning of in-person immersive experiences mm. so kind of we started to see with escape rooms and you know immersive theater that's been popping up in town um like no no percentium is an amazing website and newsletter that has like all the things listed in mm-hmm. it and some of them are just like super intimate one-on-one some of them are more theatrical in nature um some of them are a little bit more like game based what's the newsletter called no percentium no <laughs> you P-R-O-S-C-E-N-I-U-M. You thought that was going to be easy. That's what I liked about uh, the best I'm part. I'm on their Slack channel, so I can pull it up if I need to. Oh, okay. All right, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, if you Google something along those lines, I'm sure it'll autocorrect for it. Yes. Um, but no, I, I, to me, I think that's been a really fun Did you mean Palladium? Yeah. Sorry. Just... <laughs> that's been a fun innovation for storytelling because yeah. it's it, – it, I, I like the things that 
even as a passive ex viewer, you can get drawn in. I think people are trying to embrace that more. Which yeah, cool. Damien Kulash uh, was on the show recently, and he'd done a project with Mercedes-Benz. He created a booth called the Stress Inversion Transducer. And you can walk, the Mercedes-Benz car was called the Mercedes EQ. It's a new electric vehicle. Ele electric vehicle. Um, <laughs> and his whole idea of EQ was like emotional intelligence. And he's like, it's a stressful time we live in. So you walk into this booth and you can scream and yell and stomp and like get all your willies out. Um, I have a kid too. So Sounds good. Uh, but it's just, but they actually collect the energy and use it and like to power other things. Wow, so it's that's like, amazing. talk about that's your immersive cool. experience. All right, fine. That was no, 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 more but innovative. Better. Put that's that better. on your proscenium. Yeah. All right, I will. Um, uh, last but not least, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is... Breaking the mold. Well said. All right. I feel like that was very generic, but no. I apologize. It I went for it. Sounded like a, a slogan. I, I don't <laughs> have anything better. Uh, innovation is um, uh, being delighted at reinventing something. Thank you. Where can people find more about Voyage to the Stars and all of and become one of your twelve hundred uh, Twitter oh, followers? <laughs> well, follow Felicia Day at Felicia Day, as it's spelled, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, any other platforms you wish to plug. No, no. Fine. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I post maybe I mostly just retweet things. So you know, grand old time at RW Cobble. <laughs> uh, but for Voyage to the Stars, you can follow us on socials at VTTS official. Voyage to the Star is the first letters, obviously. Um, and then apple.co slash voyage. All right. Thank you, everyone. And this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. We will talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>